0: Do more with your crypto. Whether you're a crypto expert or a newcomer to the world of digital currencies, PayPal provides a secure and convenient platform for your crypto transactions. Start exploring new web three applications with peace of mind, knowing that PayPal has your back. Learn more and get started today at paypal.com crypto terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. ladies and gentlemen welcome to the scoop i'm your host frank chaparro editor at large at the block and today we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today joining us on the other side of the mic is our guest michael sailor executive chairman of microstrategy it's been quite an interesting past few weeks in our industry michael to say the least and we're happy to have you on the the last time i think we spoke was just as we were getting out of the pandemic um in 2020 and there were a whole slew of narratives shaping the bitcoin space um you know the the store of the store of wealth the sort of gold narrative and now we have basically the sec coming after much of crypto bitcoin's relatively safe um but i'm curious to sort of start the conversation what trends do you think are underpinning um, the recent rally? And is Bitcoin in a stronger position than it's ever been in before, in your view?
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting two and a half years. Um, uh, let's, let's just start with uh, all the asset classes over the past two and a half years and consider what's happened since the summer of 2020. I mean, the entire world was turned upside down in the summer of 2020. And a lot of, you know, you had the meme stock explosion. You had the spec thing. You had lockdowns. You had interest rates at zero. A lot of confusion. But, you know, our view was there was going to be inflation. Inflation of the money supply, certainly, right? If, if you take interest rates to zero and you print unlimited... Dollars, then there's going to be inflation. The question is, where is the inflation going to land? Especially, uh, and there's two questions: what, what, where will inflation land for consumers? Like, what consumer items will get more expensive? Will it be, uh, you know, food or shelter or or uh, energy? And then, uh, where will the inflation land in financial assets? So, I, I'm going to focus on financial assets. Uh, on August 10th, 2020, MicroStrategy announced we were, we were going to buy $250 million worth of Bitcoin. And we announced we were doing it because we, we had a bunch of money. We had $500 million in cash generating 0% yield, and uh, we figured we couldn't hold the cash and uh, we should go ahead and, and invest it in something. We either had to give it back to the shareholders, or we had to buy something with it. And we went through an exercise. Do we buy art or property or securities or gold or silver or soybeans or oil? And uh, ultimately, we decided well, we would give half of it back to the shareholders. We announced a $250 million buyback in the form of a Dutch auction at a premium. I think uh, our stock was around 121, 122. And we announced we had back the stock at 140 if anybody wanted to tender their shares. And then the other half, we would buy Bitcoin with it. And we bought Bitcoin because we saw it at that point as digital gold, uh, a non-sovereign store of, uh, a non-sovereign bearer instrument, store of value asset. And we liked it better than gold because gold miners make more gold. And because gold is a 19th century idea, you can't teleport gold at the speed of light. And we kind of felt like Bitcoin had the uh, appeal of a big tech network and it also had the appeal of a tangible commodity that was the most scarce commodity. So what happened? Uh, In that time period, since August, we're now not quite three years into it, but I guess in two months, we'll be three years. So we're 34 months into this experiment. Silver is down 21% since that day. Silver is disaster. Bonds, if you bought long-dated bonds, they're down 19%. So, you know, you could have guessed a very weak commodity and credit, both of those not good investments. What about gold? Gold's down 5%. Gold's dead money. So all that money printing, none of it found its way into gold. So what went up in value or what up in price at least? The NASDAQ is up 23% and uh, the S&P is up 29%. So, actually, the S&P outperformed NASDAQ. With NASDAQ, you kind of had some winners, and you had some losers. Um, Bitcoin is up 153%. So, Bitcoin's outperforming the S&P by a factor of five. It's left gold in the dust. We know... I don't have a particular real estate index to give you, but I think you know anecdotally commercial real estate was high, and, and now it's getting hammered by the interest rates coming up, and residential real estate advanced rapidly for about a year or two, and now mortgage rates are 7%, and, and people are talking about the residential real estate market being down. Let me give you a, a, a few more uh, stats that are interesting. Uh, MicroStrategy bought the $250 million of Bitcoin, and then our Dutch auction resulted in only about $60 million getting tendered, so we took another $175 million and bought more Bitcoin. Then our stock rallied, and so we bought more Bitcoin, and then we were able to issue a convertible bond and buy more Bitcoin, $650 million worth of it, and then we were able to issue a billion-dollar convertible bond at 0% interest and buy more Bitcoin, and then we were able to sell a billion dollars' worth of equity and buy more Bitcoin. Then we were able to uh, issue a junk bond. Actually, the junk bond became before the equity, 500 million at 6% interest, which looks pretty cheap now. We bought more Bitcoin. Uh, and you know, all told, we bought a bit more than $4 billion of Bitcoin, and we bought it at every price. You know, we bought it at 10,000, we bought it at 20, 30, 40, 50, we even bought something at 60,000. Okay, net result, it's, think of it as Bitcoin cost averaging, you know, for a corporation. Our stock's up uh, 165%, so we actually outperformed uh, Bitcoin over the same time period, simply by adopting a Bitcoin standard and sweeping cash flows and equity and debt and the like into Bitcoin. Now, if you look at um <coughs> big tech companies, um, well, Apple's up 64%, Google's up 63%, Microsoft's up 61%. Those are the three big tech monopolies and they're monsters in their space. But uh, Facebook, Meta is only up 7%. Netflix is down 12%. Amazon's down 17%. You can imagine why. Amazon's a difficult business. Lots of labor, lots of logistics. So uh, so I think that's the snapshot. The last three years, Bitcoin's been the best performing asset. Why? Uh, it's, it's just the most thermodynamically sound, simplest idea.
0: Does being a bit levered up on those Bitcoin purchases maybe change the dynamic relative to some of those other names?
1: Um, well, I, I, I think, uh, you know, MicroStrategy is the one company that, that does have a lot of Bitcoin on its balance sheet. So obviously, when Bitcoin advances 150%, if, if our market cap is strongly levered to Bitcoin, then we benefit. Uh, we were able to borrow $2.2 billion at a blended interest rate of one and a half percent interest.
0: That's pretty good. That's better than what I bought my house at. <laughs> yeah, so,
1: you know, so there, there are pros and cons. I mean, the cons of Bitcoin is very volatile. Right? We all know that. It's different. But less
0: volatile in recent weeks. It's only just started to pick up. I mean, we've seen, a, it, you know, speaking over the last three years, we were in a historically low volatility regime these past, let's call it, since May, maybe?
1: Yeah, if we, if we switch the, the focus just to the crypto industry as opposed to macroeconomics, Um, And the last macronomic observation is that, you know, interest rates did go to zero. They stayed at zero for 18 months. Then they got jacked up to 500 basis points in 12 months, started breaking the banks. It really crimped the commercial real estate industry, the residential real estate industry. It squeezed the equity markets. And now we're kind of like at this point where it's not clear do they creep up a little bit or the interest rates to come back in, but I think we're at the end of that of that aggressive tightening cycle, and at some point they're going to have to loosen monetary policy. So we're we're poised there, on and the crypto industry. I think in general, uh, the question the question is uh, is is Bitcoin going to be banned, hacked, or copied? Right. It was the biggest crypto asset three years ago, but will it be banned? Will it be hacked? Will it be copied? That's the question for any investor. What happens next? Uh, There used to be a lot of Bitcoin skeptics. There were, you know, people, well, there were the deniers. I talk about them. People that think Bitcoin is tulip bulbs and a Ponzi scheme. Peter Schiff being the most famous. The deniers are pretty much silenced now, right? I mean, they have fallen out of consensus. Bloomberg, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you know, uh, CNBC, Congress, the SEC, the CFTC, the Treasury, all the central banks of the world, they all kind of acknowledge it's not tulip bulbs. It's a real asset. It's a digital commodity. So the deniers are out of the mainstream. Then you have the skeptics. Like... uh, Bitcoin is really good idea, but it's too good idea. So the government's going to ban it, you know, and, and we had, you know, Jamie Dimon said it, you know, you, you've got other people that said it, you know, Larry Fink once said, you know, it's an index of money laundering. So the skeptics held the day for a while, but I think in the last 24 to 36 months, the skeptics have kind of fallen out of the mainstream as well, because you can't with a straight face go on CNBC and say, Bitcoin's going to be banned when they've got the ticker in the lower right corner. And they got the head of the SEC, the head of the CFTC and the, you know, the Secretary of the Treasury and then Jerome Powell all saying, I think it's going to be around for a while. It's a real thing. So the skeptics, the skeptics don't really have much power. So now if it's an asset, you've got a bunch of investors and, you know, maybe you love it. Maybe you hate it. You're like, if you're an investor, you acknowledge it as an asset class and you can either go long, go short or trade the volatility. I think that um you've seen a lot more investors coming into this space uh and for a while they thought it was uh it was uh correlated to risk assets you know and and uh and so they would short it to hedge their risk portfolio right and so and then they thought it was not correlated or negatively correlated and so that that view has evolved over time, but to your point. You know the best thing that could happen to Bitcoin is the volatility decreases a bit, but the correlations break down because if it's an uncorrelated asset and it's a and it's a legitimate asset, then most of the financial world is underexposed, right? You've got you've got five hundred trillion dollars of liquid financial assets floating around, and point 0.1% of that is Bitcoin. So if it gets to be one percent, right, two percent then it's going up by a factor of 10 or more. I think
0: I think the th- the magic recipe there or the sweet spot is uncorrelated low volatility bitcoin.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. Uh I don't I I think we'll get the uncorrelated and how much volatility we get it's unclear but but um as more people adopt it and as liquidity increases in the in the mainstream institutional investor market, I think the volatility will decrease and is decreasing. I mean, the last two investor classes are the technocrats. And this is a, a, a set of investors you want. They're the people that think Apple and Google and Amazon and Facebook and Microsoft are really powerful networks. And you can see the big winning stock ideas have been Microsoft, Apple, you know, and uh, and Google. And the reason why is because they're more powerful than most nation states. It, sh- it should be pretty clear to people right now that, that Apple has a billion users and it would be easier for you to leave the United States of America and pick up your life elsewhere than it would be for you to leave the Apple ecosystem. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, it's, it's a very interesting idea, but... If you're a tech investor, <clears throat> you could get behind that idea, and eventually, uh, just about everybody that got insanely wealthy over the past 20 or 30 years was a technocrat, really, if you think about it. And uh, then eventually you get the Warren Buffetts and you get the Carl icons of the world that say, "I don't know if I understand it, but it seems like a jug or not, so I guess I'll buy 10 billion dollars of it." You know? And, and, and Warren Buffett made more money on Apple stock than he made in his entire life on everything else you've ever heard of. And he made that money faster. And so, so the technocrat, it, you know, kind of wins over the mainstream investor. And Bitcoin is emerging as this dominant digital monetary network or dominant digital commodity network, or you could call it dominant digital property network. The thing that's most, that's most controversial is currency. Currency is very controversial. Every nation state wants to control their own currency. Currency is a medium of exchange. A, you know,
0: Sometimes other countries want to control the currency of other countries.
1: And you could say it's a system of control, right? A medium of exchange, a unit, of account, a store of value. But the fourth thing, the system of control, turns out to be really, really important. So digital currency networks are very controversial and there's a lot of uncertainty. But on the other hand, Owning property is not controversial. And if if Bitcoin is digital gold, then there is no nation of gold with subpoena power that's going to attack you for taking away its monetary premium. And the same is true if, if Bitcoin is better investment than real estate. Well, you know, Congress and the Treasury and the FBI and, and FinCEN, they're not going to take a lot of issue with the fact that you actually demonetize some commercial real estate by 2%. So Bitcoin is emerging as this digital property network, and it meets the use case of store of value. And um, all of the endorsements have made a huge difference. I mean, you've got four presidential candidates that have been come out pro Bitcoin. That's kind of like a chicken in every pot, and, and uh, everybody deserves their own their own home. And if, if everyone has an entitlement to own their own home, and I'm going to launch Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, and I'm going to make home mortgages cheap because every American deserves to own a home, what you get is a lot of money flowing into that asset class, the entire mortgage-backed security asset and, and uh, real estate. And there's a reason real estate's gone up 7% a year in all these cities for the last 100 years right? Because it's a supported asset class. I think that Bitcoin is emerging as a supported asset class. If you've got the regulators endorsing it, Congress endorsing it, legislators endorsing it, you've got, you know, you've got candidates endorsing it, then I think you've turned a corner. So I think, I think we've turned a corner where you're either going to be an investor or a technocrat, or the last is maximalist. And, You know, Maximalist has has sometimes people painted with this very, you know, controversial uh, brush. But I just think of Maximalist as someone that thinks it's their technocrat that thinks it's an ethical good. Like like the don't be evil, you know, remember when Google said don't be evil. If you thought um, it's an ethical good to give property rights to 8 billion people and everybody in Africa, South America and Asia deserves property rights, and you see a network that is nation state resistant, that is not controlled by any company, that's a global network that's open permissionless, then you could just say, I'm a, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. I believe this is an instrument of economic empowerment. It's good for the world. And that's not any different than saying, I'm a math maximalist. People should learn mathematics. I think they should learn language. They should learn to read, write, do arithmetic. I'm in, I'm in favor of fire and electricity, and uh, and and so once you take that view, it's a bit stronger commitment than if you're a technocrat. You know, Apple, Apple and Google and Facebook they don't operate in China the same way. Especially Facebook and Google and Twitter, they're not in China at all. So when when you're at the technocrat level, you're hitched your wagon to a corporation. And corporations are subject to, you know, leverage by nation states in the way that an open permissionless protocol like English or math or Bitcoin are not subject to. So that's, that's what we're seeing right now. And I, I think everything's just been generally bullish and, and not easy, struggle, volatile, but, but progressing in a decent way for the good of the human race.
0: Yeah, I've I've been in Europe um, the past month, and I've realized the extent to which I am an air, condition, air conditioner maximalist, as well as a large refrigerator maximalist, because there's definitely a dearth of that here. When you think about maximalism, maximalism though, I'm curious, when does it reach the point of toxicity, in your view, in the context of Bitcoiners versus Ethereum folks versus Solana folks. And is Bitcoin something else? Or is crypto this good? Because many of them are networks, right? Open networks. Yeah, so I,
1: I think my definition of maximalist is just someone that believes Bitcoin is an instrument of economic empowerment. That doesn't mean that you can't own Apple stock. It doesn't mean that you can't have a beachfront house in Florida, right? You you can believe in a nation state. As long as there are nation states, there will be currencies issued by nation states, right? I, I, you know, it is what it is. I'm in favor of the United States continuing to exist, and, and they'll issue the dollar. As long as we live in a world of corporations, corporations will issue securities. Apple's got one. Microsoft's got one. Um, as long as we need buildings, real estate companies will buy buildings. They may sell, you know, shares in a real estate investment trust. You can own a building; you can get you can get rent on it. So, uh, I th- and as long as they are entrepreneurs, they're going to create new things. So, I I think that um, you can believe that Bitcoin is better than just uh, digital monopoly, uh, without dismissing a bunch of other ideas. Every idea should be evaluated on its own merits. I think the, the issue that certain Bitcoiners have-
0: you can, be, you can be bullish on Apple stock and Bitcoin and Ethereum.
1: Well, no, I, I think you're baiting me there. Uh, I, Ethereum is a different situation and all these crypto tokens are different too. The issue is they're unregistered securities. So Apple is a registered security. So the question is: If you're going to sell a security to the general public, have you made the full and fair disclosures as to who controls the protocol and what they can expect? And uh, and that that's a challenging thing. It, it costs a lot of money to disclose properly any given security. And so I I think that um, I, by the way. I don't endorse any security, right? I'm not here to tell you to buy Apple stock. I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure if any security, I'm not going to endorse any investment of uh, of a building. I'm not here to endorse a currency or a trade. I'm here basically to say, I like Bitcoin.
0: There's a difference between Bitcoin as a philosophy and Bitcoin as a asset to a certain extent um, and in a way that's different from maybe Apple, like Apple does have a philosophy, but it's a bit less robust than maybe the the philosophy of, of something like Bitcoin or the underpin um, philosophical value there.
1: What we're trying to do with Bitcoin is we're trying to establish a protocol, right? I, the, the commitment or the passion is behind the protocol and the whole idea of the protocol is nobody gets to change it. Right, So so companies have people making decisions that they think are good or bad. And and like base 10 math is a protocol. And if you were to tell me you wanted to add additional number between 9 and 10, I, I would have a problem with that. And English is a protocol. And if you told me you wanted to redefine green to be blue, I'd have a problem with that. You know, like you've exited my version of the English language. And so so the Bitcoiners just don't like anybody changing anything, right? If you start changing it, you've converted a commodity or a protocol into something that looks more like a company or a security
0: attention crypto holders moving crypto is seamless and secure with paypal with support for bitcoin eth and more you can buy sell hold send and check out with crypto at millions of shops online not to mention paypal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or huddling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com. /crypto terms and conditions apply. Here's a message from our sponsor CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a Nasdaq-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy. But that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more. There was a... There was a bit of debate over the ordinal sort of surge um, between folks within the Bitcoin community. Where did you find yourself there?
1: I believe that you should just leave the protocol alone, right, I mean, I, I, believe, I believe that Bitcoin as a protocol is pretty good and my general view on the protocol is you shouldn't really change the protocol unless there's an overwhelming consensus in the community that we're facing a fatal defect or a fatal, there's a, there's a fatal defect in, in the system that we need to deal with that would burn it to zero. And otherwise, I think most innovation ought to take place consistent with the protocol. And then people ought to create, if, if they want to create new open protocols, they should create them on layer twos like lightning. Because uh, because if you screw up on layer two with lightning, you just lose all the money in the channel, or you lose all the money in the lightning, uh, the lightning protocol. But you don't put the entire world at risk. And you know my view on uh, ordinals, inscriptions, these things is that Bitcoin represents a city in cyberspace, and if there's a city in cyberspace. 100,000 companies will launch with 100,000 different ideas on top of that uh, digital property. You know, maybe someone will open up a bakery and they'll sell donuts, and I don't like donuts, but I'm not going to censor whether or not you can set up a bakery in New York City. I'm not going to censor whether you can sell books written by George Orwell. Right? Uh, At at the point you start to say only libraries can be created and only healthy food can be sold to my my city. You know, you're just starting to meddle in the free market and I'm an Austrian economist, so I would say uh, it's okay to criticize people's business ideas, but one should not censor. their business ideas. I might not invest, like like if you, if you mint 27,000, you know, monkey JPEGs, I might not buy one, but if you're doing it consistent with the protocol, you have a right to do it. If it's commercially valuable uh, and you're successful, you'll pay the transaction fees and it will grow the network. And if it's not commercially valuable and you can't pay the transaction fees, eventually you get squeezed off the network just like if you open up a bakery and you sell really awful donuts made of sawdust it's a stupid idea i wouldn't invest in it i won't buy your sawdust donuts you'll probably go bankrupt but i don't think the mayor should pass a law saying you're not you, you have to get permission before you sell your sawdust
0: donuts in my town <laughs> what a weird town that is um do you do you reckon though that sort of in haste deeming various open networks as securities, unregistered securities, is a form of censorship.
1: No, I I mean, if they are unregistered securities, they are. Like, if I actually create my own token and I keep a lot of it and I sell some to the world and I manipulate the price of it and I don't tell you how many I have, and then I change the protocol to give myself more without telling you, that was an unregistered security, right? So if someone notices that and they object to that, then, you know, all they're doing is observing the fact that I'm attempting to manipulate the securities market. I, I wouldn't endorse that. Like, you, Would you endorse penny stock schemes if someone launched a penny stock and they were obviously manipulating it to their benefit? Like, no, that's more...
0: bad. I'm just trying to compare or sort of gel the two analogies between the the sawdust infused donuts where the mayor wouldn't sort of relegate them to outside the city border um and open networks being required to register.
1: Yeah, I think I think the issue here is is one of are you truthful in what you're selling? If I told people I'm if selling I tell the people soda,
0: that they're that they're there's sawdust in the soda. donuts.
1: Right. right. I mean, it it all comes down to have you fully, if you're selling a security to the public, have you disclosed to the public the risk that they're taking to buy the security? Matt,
0: we're eating sawdust. So what do you think of this sort of debate? Um, This is kind of going more towards the current events of the ETF filings in BlackRock. Earlier this week, uh, I feel like there was a bit of anxiety among market participants in our industry about BlackRock submitting their filing just a few days, I think it was. BlackRock filed the 15th, and or a few weeks, rather. BlackRock filed June 15th, and then the SEC sued Coinbase, I think it was the 6th of June. And there are these conspiratorial elements within crypto that believe this wasn't a coincidence, that Wall Street and the upper echelons of finance and politics are sort of conspiring to take over this industry.
1: You know, I I think that a lot of people post stuff on Twitter in order to get engagement or get clicks, and so I mean, I've read a hundred conspiracy theories about a submarine in the North Atlantic in the last few <laughs> days. Like, there's people get excited no, about that was pretty things. crazy, wasn't
0: it? I could see you going in a submersive to that. No, I don't think so. but
1: um, I, I think that what you have is you have thousands of people or actors all doing things at the same time in the world and and it's too complicated. For example, the EDX exchange, it uh, it came live, and, but apparently they were working on it for a year. Okay. So maybe I I do think people make rational decisions. For example, if I was BlackRock and I was looking at all the spot ETF denials, the SEC has said we're not going to approve one because we want an exchange which is non-custodial that agrees to a surveillance agreement, you know, that's a regulated exchange. I probably would have said there's no point in filing a spot ETF until it looks like there might be one of those. So maybe it took 11 months for EDX to come out, and then EDX was going live, and they said, okay, well, EDX is going to go live sometime soon, so I guess we'll file our our uh, application because the odds just went from 90% against us to 50-50 or, or 75% in favor. And if you put that together with all the political pressure uh, on the SEC right now to approve a spot ETF which is built over the past 6 months right and uh, you know you could imagine maybe they thought the odds uh, the odds had switched and uh, and then of course the next four uh, companies that file for a spot ETF are refiled they obviously looked at EDX they looked at Black BlackRock and they said well if BlackRock thinks they're going to file and if EDX is coming online then it makes sense for us to get back in the queue so i I think people act rationally based upon the information at hand, but ultimately, I think there's you know there's a lot of independent parties that are all going at their own speed, and sometimes it takes them a year the government takes a year, two, three years to do some things and and so i I don't think anything is that easy uh and that coordinated i I think it you would like for it, all this stuff to be worked out over the course of weeks or months or days, but generally it feels like s- sometimes it take it takes a year, two, three, four years for something to happen, which was pretty obvious 36 months ago. Like take take FASB's accounting, you know, we, there's indefinite and tangible accounting Everybody in the industry agrees it's not a good idea in the middle of 2020 or late 2020 2021 goes by 2022 goes by we're in 2023 36 months after everybody agrees that maybe a fair value accounting is better we might get around to it and and then a lot of things will happen you know after fair value accounting and maybe it'll look like there's some coordination but really it just takes a long time for bodies to do whatever they're going to do. There are natural delays built into the system.
0: What impact do you think a spot ETF will have on the market? Is it as important as it's being hyped up to be, in your view?
1: Um, It's a milestone on the road to institutional adoption of Bitcoin. So um, I, I think it's important, like I don't think it drives Bitcoin to $5 million a coin overnight. You know, like some people hype it to be super, super important. I think it's, uh, it's important. Uh, it's one of probably six or seven things that are milestones. The significance is uh, big institutional investors uh, want clarity and, and uh, they want to know that the asset is a legitimate asset. And so a spot ETF sends a message that it's a legitimate asset. Um, they the second thing is many of them, uh, many of them have to buy securities. They can't buy commodities. So there are trillions and trillions of dollars that are in these uh, institutions, pension funds and institutional investors, where they can buy securities, but they cannot buy commodities. And so they couldn't buy Bitcoin even if they wanted to buy the Bitcoin. Uh, It's either for charter reasons, like I I raised $10 billion from a pension fund, and I promised them I would only invest in securities that trade on national exchanges. Or sometimes it's tax reasons. There are tax requirements. So now I start looking for a security, and if I want to buy Bitcoin, I want something that looks like the asset. Um, You know, uh, technically, one of the interesting things going on right now is if you look year to date at the performance of Bitcoin, it's up 81%. But you know, there's only one ETF. I mean, there's one major ETF I can use to buy it. That's Beto. Mm -hmm. Do you know what Beto's performance is year to date?
0: I think it's definitely lagging. What is it like, four?
1: 61% instead of 81%. -hmm. It's lagging 20%, okay? So like, that's a big deal, right?
0: 20%.
1: yeah, instead of eighty-one percent, you've got sixty-one percent year to date. So uh, they're they're achieving that coverage via trading on the CME using futures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but apparently you can't you have really a decay, construct you have a
0: decay in in the futures based ETF.
1: Well, so, something there's a story there. Some the first year it tracked really well. But uh, in the last year, year to date, it's off 20%. And if you look at year over year, over 12 months, Bitcoin's up 43%, Beto's up 31%. So it's lagging 12% in the last 12 months. So there's something there. So if you're an institutional investor, <clears throat> what I mean, the spot ETF gives you a, a, a perfected like a way to do it as a security, like theoretically perfected. Look, if 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 an ETF charges you 100 basis points a year, then in theory that costs you 20% of your performance over the course of, of uh, the duration of the asset. So it's not ideal, but but a 25 to 50 basis point ETF would probably be reasonable. You certainly can't take a 10% a year hit, right, trying to do it with futures. And if you can't do if you can't hold the asset, the issue with buying the asset is not just not just the tax issue or the charter issue. technically, it's harder, but then you've got to go through the custody issue and so I think the spot ETF is an endorsement of the regulators as a legitimate asset, but also it provides an on ramp where I could go and I could buy ten million dollars of it in thirty seconds by punching a button, and the alternative would be i you could spend 30 months as an institutional investor and not be able to technically buy the same amount of exposure because of all the legal and accounting and and uh, and governance factors that come into play.
0: Yeah, the, the commodity versus security element is, is interesting. I, I feel like there's probably, that's probably one of the more impactful factors there for um, certain institutions not being able to play in that market. Going back to sort of the regulatory environment, um, you said recently, I think, um, to Bloomberg that you imagine Bitcoin's market cap as a percentage of the total crypto market will double, which I thought was funny because that means it goes from fifty to a hundred percent.
1: If there is, yeah, if I didn't say that, Frank. Oh. I, I don't know what that what you're calling what I what I said um, probably what you're thinking is I said that Bitcoin dominance was forty percent at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year. It's okay. now okay. now past fifty percent, or in fifty percent, I think it'll go to eighty percent.
0: So in a world where it's at eighty percent, um, could is there a potential in a world where these securities, as you view them, can register to some extent? Is that is that calculus a little bit different? Like, is there a path for some of these tokens that might be securities if they register that Bitcoin has less of a dominance?
1: Well, I, I'm, if they do register, I'm not sure they'll be called crypto anymore. I think they may be called mm. digital securities. I I think if you look at the at the the guidance you're getting from the SEC and and the writing on the wall—it's that the crypto industry is going to rationalize down to trading a lot fewer assets. And mm. right now, the it's only going to be the four that EDX lists:
0: you, you Bitcoin, see them. Ethereum, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash.
1: If that—not, you know—I um, think that the crypto industry right now has a legitimate path to list assets without an issuer. Okay, and so. If you think about the digital assets industry, I think digital assets mean digital currencies, digital commodities, digital securities, digital tokens, digital exchanges. Well, if there was a set of, um, if there's a set of legislation in the U.S. or some country that defined a digital currency, and I'm, I'm thinking stablecoin here, right? Digital dollar, or if it defined a digital security. You know, some company, you know, or foundation issued their own token. If it defined a digital token, like either a NFT token or maybe more likely a fungible token, like 100,000 Tom Brady superfan tokens, right? If you define those tokens, you could create a legitimate path uh, to register them and trade them. So what's lacking right now is there is no uh, taxonomy of those assets and there is no path offered by the regulators. The SEC and the CFTC have not offered a definition or a path. So now you're waiting for Congress. So you're going to need a law. You'll need a law and the law will need to define the taxonomy. And if the law, by the way, you know, I can see a world like as a technologist, I can see a world where... Every security trades 24-7 digitally, like Apple, Google, Microsoft, everything. I can see a world where you have a light security token, which, you know, is not a company, but it's like a, a crypto token, uh, and it has lighter disclosures, and you make maybe, you know, there's a difference between the disclosures around General Electric, the conglomerate, and the disclosures around Solana, you know, a, a network token, right, you would think. I could see a world, but we're going to need uh, a political process or maybe a political regime change for that to be put forth. I actually can see the benefit of every celebrity being able to issue their own token, Katy Perry token, Tom Brady token. They could own their own brand, et cetera. But the
0: issue is... Michael Taylor token.
1: Yeah, I I don't think I'd be doing it. But the issue is you need... uh, you need a an environment. You need a, a legitimate path yeah. to issue it. Because what happens if Tom Brady issues ten thousand Tom Brady tokens and then issues a hundred thousand more and dilutes the value? Of the first ten thousand, after representing that he never willed, you yeah. know, like that. That's What's the, the
0: recourse. That that's
1: the issue, which is for for you to trade these things with the general public. There needs to be a a common methodology and an expected set of norms where everybody understands what they're getting into and what risk they're taking so that so that they don't say they were cheated after the fact. And the problem is if there's no defined set of rules, there will always be a person saying, "I was misled and and so. That's why, that's why securities are much more complicated than commodities uh, in that regard. Because commodities are are not issued by an issuer, so there's nobody to sue. If you bought a bar of silver and it didn't go up in value, you know, you're not suing someone because they degraded the silver and turned it into corn mush. But but uh, when you buy the, the celebrity token, and it goes down in value because they flood the market with tokens and they promise you they would invite you to a barbecue, but then they stop hosting the barbecues and the token's worthless, you know, you're going to sue them. And the issue will be, what's the, what's your legal recourse? So ultimately the, the issue right now is there's no legitimate path for, uh, for someone to issue all these digital assets. And, and, and I think the elephant in the room here is, um, Like if I was sitting in Congress and I was testifying, the question I'd be asking is, do you think it should be possible for someone to trade Apple stock on Saturday afternoon between two digital exchanges? And do you think it it should be possible or would be good for the world if I could take custody of my Apple stock on an Android phone? Right? Because because the debate, the technical debate is we want to issue... We want to issue assets a million times cheaper and we want to move them a million times faster and we want to give self-custody to everybody on every device. And it's empowering for the 8 billion people on the planet. It's threatening to the status quo of the 20th century financial establishment because it's the 20th century organizations that have monopoly on trading and a monopoly on custody and a monopoly on issuance of these assets and and the real issue uh, instead of fighting for instead of fighting for doquan's right to issue luna and do what 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 doquan wants to do with luna token that's not your moral high ground the moral high ground here would be to say why can't apple issue an apple token or an app, a share of apple stock to trade on a 24/7 365 exchange and why don't I, as an Apple shareholder, have the right to take custody of it? And if you start it from that point of view, right, then um then you actually get the debate to be on a on a more politically sound basis, I think. and and, and maybe you make some progress. Right now, the two sides are talking past each other, right? and and i I think that absent absent bipartisan legislation that defines digital currencies, digital tokens, digital securities, digital commodities, digital exchanges and says, we have a right to self-custody assets and a right to issue these assets. Here's how you do it legitimately. If you have, if you don't have that, it's difficult for the industry to move forward in 10X, you know, all these other tokens. Like a, I, I think that what we have right now is a regressive regime and it's not the best thing for the world, like it's, it's not the most, progressive, inspirational thing. Like, why can't 2 million uh, artists issue their own tokens? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you why they can't right now. Because their security, and it's $25 million a year to comply with uh, public securities law, right? There's two problems. First of all, you have to spend $25 million a year in order to issue a public equity. Like, I know, I do it. Uh, I'm in the business. But second, even if you do it, MSTR stock doesn't trade on Saturday afternoon. Like Binance tried to trade it, it got shut down by the regulators. So it's not just a matter of disclosure, it's a matter of the definition of the security. And then third, even if you pay 25 million a year and it it doesn't trade, you also can't take custody of the asset. So what we need is, is we need leadership at the political level. To define the digital assets framework, and then uh, and then once we do that, we could just d- define a method, a legitimate path to issue and trade and custody these things. and you just have to be aware that there's a lot of profound debate, like for example, digital currency I- It'd be great to issue $10 trillion of US dollars so they circulate in Africa, Asia, everywhere in the world. And it would be good for the 8 billion people on the planet, especially the 7 billion that can't get dollars. But there's a lot of people that don't want that because they want this to be a system of control and they don't want the dollars to circulate freely and fast and non KYC. So. The the question really is:
0: There's there's the What's forces. that more of a uh, more open version of a CBDC? I mean, isn't that a stable coin in a sense? Sort of what you're describing.
1: If you have a if you have a stable coin that's circulating non KYC instantly at the speed of light on whatever network, right? You've created a digital currency. But there's a lot of people that don't want that, right? They don't want digital cash, and so the political debate is is um, Will the does the establishment want to allow, uh, you know, so much innovation, right? Are, are they more concerned with control, or are they concerned with, or are they interested in innovation? And that's why it'll be a political fight. Like there, there's, there's no political support for a centrally controlled digital currency, a CBDC. We know that the, the Congress doesn't want that. But on the other hand, there isn't any political support for a freely circulating digital currency either. So we're in this interesting gray zone where there's a massive fight between the establishment that wants to control the monetary system and then the forces of technology, right, and progress that want money to move at the speed of light between a hundred million companies and eight billion mobile devices, and uh, and that's that's the the challenge that I see right now. And there isn't, there's no legitimate path today. I think that the U.S. is going to clearly be the political actor here, so everybody's going to follow what the U.S. does generally. And so you kind of got to look to Congress, either to the Senate or the House, to offer some legislation that will define a digital assets framework and a legitimate path to registration. And it's gonna have to be bipartisan in order to move forward on all these ideas. And what are the odds of that
0: happening in the next year?
1: Low. I, I I think that probably your best bet is after the next presidential election, you probably need a regime change. You know, you need a supportive executive branch and then you need a supportive Senate and supportive Congress. But you also, you also need, you know, there isn't a proposal on the table that is complete that defines these things, right? Like, like as I just laid it out to you, no one is defining digital tokens. You know, you need to define the stuff and then give people a path to move forward in order for the industry to grow.
0: So some rapid fires before I, I cut you loose. How do you maintain work-life balance in a 24-7 market like crypto?
1: I think uh, it helps to focus. There's uh, like on Twitter, like again, people can take their entire weekend up obsessing over the submarine. So I, I think you got to put your laser eyes on and, that and focus. That was so, me uh,
0: last night till 2 a.m.
1: So I think you know I try to focus on I'm not solving the problems of the world. I, there are a lot of problems in the world. There're a lot of a lot of things I like. I'm just not solving them all or trying to keep up with all of them. I'm trying to focus upon how do, how do you um how do you advocate and and how do you uh, accelerate the adoption of Bitcoin throughout the world? Yeah. I think that's part of it. The second part is you got to have a you got to have a, a rhythmic routine, a daily weekly routine. So you know, make sure that that you're taking care of your health. You know, you work in exercise, proper sleep. Think about life as a marathon and not a sprint. And uh, then I think just try to be constructive and cheerful, right? Because you can get drawn into all these fights. A lot of people get drawn into so many different fights. And it, like if you manage to pound one million people on Twitter into a pulp, it still doesn't make the world a better place and you may not actually succeed at what you're trying to succeed yeah. at. So so don't get distracted, you know, by all, all the controversies if it's not constructive and moving forward in a in a cheerful fashion.
0: Was there an instance where you had a prediction about the market? Maybe maybe Bitcoin in particular where you were you were off base or has your has anything about Bitcoin Uh, Aside from your very early days where you, you know, were anti-Bitcoin, let's talk more recently, where you've changed your view.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like uh, early on, I was slow to uh, I was slow to recognize the power. I didn't have the need. Uh, But that's 2013. That was like
0: years ago. Um, I think I I probably
1: underestimated the volatility. about a mm-hmm. year ago, you know, before the entire meltdown when Bitcoin hit 66,000, I didn't think it would draw down to 16,000. I would have thought mm. I I would think it'd be a volatility plus or minus 30% or something and it turned out to be a bit more brutal this cycle. So, sometimes just slightly underestimate the volatility. It's very difficult to figure out where we are in the life cycle. I Otherwise, you know, everything that I thought would happen is happening. I, I, you know, I think sometimes people, they think they personalize this and they think, oh yeah, BlackRock is this one entity and or ESG is this one entity or the bankers are against us. I don't think that's the way the world is. I think the world is a hundred million organizations all trying to do the best thing as they see it with different information. And sometimes, you know, the 800 pound gorilla rolls over your leg and breaks your leg, but they, but they didn't notice they broke your leg, you know, I, I think that, um, that uh, Bitcoin is a solution that's helpful to every person, every corporation, every government, every agency. I think it's just a constructive, useful thing. It's thermodynamically sound economic energy. So it's a, it's, a, it's a well-engineered economic network. And that being the case, there are very few people in the world that want to destroy their economy actively. Maybe Maybe the pure communists that are totally against property rights. But most people are trying to actually improve their economic circumstance So the ones that understand that embrace Bitcoin and the ones that don't understand Bitcoin may be uh, skeptical of it or may say, you know, like when Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett don't endorse it, I don't think that they spend a thousand hours thinking about it and they're our enemy. I just think that someone poked the bear and they spent 15 minutes thinking about it and they just don't understand it. So I, I think that the world is evolving in uh, the way I would expect, people are just getting educated, and as they get more educated, the world rationalizes. And I think I think the human race adopted fire, electricity, math, and language. I think they'll adopt this idea of, of uh, proper, technically sound money because it's good for them. It's just that they won't all adopt it at the same time, at the same rate. And some people... We'll be afraid of it. Just like, you know, if you think about the English language, we love fire, but we're afraid we'll get burned Mm -hmm. and we love electricity, but sometimes things shock us. So you can get burned by fire and you can get shocked by electricity. And yet we wouldn't be humans in the 21st century without fire and electricity. I think the Bitcoin is kind of shocking, you know, and a little bit scary to people, but, uh, but it's, it's, um, You know, spreading at about the fastest rate it can spread. And we just have to kind of, you know, hold on and suit up for the ride. It's not always easy.
0: Scrap in. Well, we'll leave it there. Michael Saylor, thanks so much for taking the time for coming on the show. Have a great day.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. And the school will be back again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.